Love is taking us places, yes? And I'm excited about it. Hey, I want to start off this morning by looking at a scripture on the screens. Mark 8, 34 through 35. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So I've been thinking a lot this week as I prepared for this message, and I believe that part of my job as pastor is to keep this sanctuary. And I don't mean these four walls. I mean our very lives, this house of God that is represented often in flesh and blood, this community to keep it always open and to tend to this very sacred ground, our sacred ground. And part of my job is to remind us then of the fullness of life that is available and gifted to all of us. So if I or if we see something or someone that is then hindering that life, I realize that my ministry and our ministry does not need to play out in the art of simply standing by and watching. It is our responsibility to care for the hurting, to comfort those that are broken, but it is also our call to confront injustice and to challenge unhealthy thinking and living. So as I read that verse this week, I had to ask myself, what does it mean to take up my cross? And I had this weird, weird surprising inner reaction to this because I had to wrestle through what I used to think it means versus what does it mean today. And so the one question that I want us to ask ourselves today, and I think it'll be on the screens, it is that is the cross an invitation to self-sacrifice or to transformation? Big question. Is the cross an invitation to self-sacrifice or is it an invitation to transformation? That's what I want to reflect on this morning. Last week and today, though, we must start with Jesus. He seemed to possess this life that was so total that he gave it away without fear. His own interior freedom marked this man so much that it became so frightening to those around him who were not free, so much so that they rose up in anger to destroy this life giver. John Shelby Spong says this. Let's look at it. The cross to me stands for this destruction which still goes on in religious disputes. The cross does not represent a sacrifice required by a blood-sucking deity. It rather reveals the ultimate portrait of the threatening power of love that is present in the life of this victim. Those are strong words and something that I want us to wrap our minds around this morning. If Jesus walked what later became, to know, uh, became known as the way of the cross... And even as he walked this way and as the threat of death became the actual reality of death, still the very bearer of this gift of life discovered that nothing could finally destroy the life that he possessed. Nothing. The gospel picture draws then, uh, drawn of Jesus, portrays him as giving his life to others even up until the point of his own death. And so we all perceive something new in Jesus' story. We perceive something profoundly moving. And as this power touches us, we say God was obviously in this life. And so Jesus for us, first of all, reveals the source of life, and then he empowers us to enter into that. He calls us and asks us to follow him. So during our Lenten series earlier this year, 
I spoke about Jesus' life, specifically leading up to the cross, the pre-Easter Jesus, if you will. And what we found together as we looked at the life of Jesus, the life he lived and the way that Jesus walked cut through boundaries and the very separation between what or who was considered to be clean or unclean. Jesus' most subversive activity for which he was criticized was to eat with those who were considered to be outsiders or social outcasts of his day. Jesus showed solidarity with the most marginalized by sharing food with them. He tabled with them, and his was an open table. And so that's our example then to look at and to follow. So going back then to my call as pastor and our call as humans and as beloved, we see that Jesus understood that the call of every human being is not just to survive, but the call of every human being is to journey into both the fullness of one's own humanity and also into the mystery that we know is God. So we are to walk into the beauty of life and then to live out the goodness of life. We are to know our truth and allow that to set us free from the bondage of lies. Not just the bondage of sin, which we've heard over and over again, but first, the lies and the shame that keep us from knowing and from loving our true selves. Then we can be transformed. Then we can freely operate with love. And love is what binds us together into larger and larger communities. Love is what frees us from the pejorative definitions that result then in exclusion and keeping people out. Love transcends barriers. Love unites and love calls. Love enhances life. And that is the cycle then of death, of transformation, and of new life. So let's look at Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism. Now, baptism means intentionality and decision, okay? So by decision, we have been buried with him into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So we look at this cycle of death and of resurrection and new life again. And for this to be complete, I believe that the body of Christ, the community of believers, that we must play a part in the redemptive role in transformation, in transforming life inside human history, that we are called to invade life, to invade life. That is the role of the beloved Spong goes on to say, the role of the church must be to become the place where the disparate parts of our humanity can be bound together and then kept from being separated again. He says, we must practice wholeness. We have to build a community so deep and so real that good and evil, that God and shadow might dwell together, that they then stand as symbols for our need of redemption, they remind us then of our own shadows, which are a part of our own being. They remind us then of the need of transformation internally, not just externally. So the primary task of a faith community is to assist God in the creation of wholeness, not of goodness, not of perfection, but our call is to wholeness. The community's raison d'etre, our reason for existence, is to be the place where each and every person can mature into their own being. That's a huge call for us. Richard Rohr says this. Let's look at it on the screens. 
The religious breakthrough that Christ offered humanity is that true gospel authority, the authority to heal and renew things and people is not found in a hierarchical office, a theological argument, a perfect law, or a rational explanation. What the crucified revealed is that the real authority that authors people and changes the world is an inner authority that comes from people who have lost, let go, and are refound on a new level. Take that in because that is the picture of Jesus and that is also supposed to be the picture of us. To have real authority that authors people and changes the world and it comes from those of us who have lost, let go, and are refound on a new level. So, real, authentic, unadulterated power comes from people who have willfully chosen to take up their cross and follow the way of Jesus into transformation. Let me say it again. Real, authentic, unadulterated power, and I mean power that reveals life in love, unadulterated power, that comes from people who have willfully chosen to take up their cross and follow the way of Jesus into transformation. So in order for us to willfully do that today, meaning to choose to follow in this way of life, we must first acknowledge what we think taking up our cross and following Jesus either meant for us and means for us today. So Christians have seen the sign of a cross as a sign of discipleship and connection to Christ. As Stan mentioned in the first um, week of this series, we wear it on our necks and hang them on our walls as a sign of devotion to our Christian faith. When the steel cross was discovered in the rubble um, of 9-11, after 9-11, the attacks on the World Trade Center, many people saw that, both Christians and non-Christians, they were comforted by that, seeing that as a sense of peace that it can come out of tragedy. And yet in scripture, And in the Jewish tradition, the cross carried with it extremely negative meanings and harmful connotations. And if you look up the word cross in the Bible, the definition is absolutely dreadful. And I'm going to read it to you. The cross, Greek word stauros, it's an instrument, an ancient instrument of torture and execution. The use of an upright stake to display a corpse or to torture or execute a person was widespread in the first millennium BC, especially in times of war. Grisly spectacles involving the crucifixion of sometimes hundreds or even thousands of victims, they were arranged for the intimidation of besieged cities, the punishment of conquered peoples, or the deterrence of rebellious slaves or troops. So when you look at the cross that way, it becomes an incredibly hard cross to bear, right? A very heavy weight to bear. And so many of us have grown up thinking that, this very thing meaning execution. So think about how often in your life when you've gone through times of suffering or things that you don't want to face, you've said to yourself that idiom, well, this is just my cross to bear, right? This is just my cross to bear in life. And yet that saying and that thought process has run out for me because when we hear Jesus' words in Matthew, and let's look at this, he says to us, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
That is very different than understanding the weight of a heavy cross. So God, in my estimation, does not seem to be interested in us carrying heavy burdens. God seems to be interested in lightening our loads. See, life is hard, and we can admit that. But I was taught to believe that, well, faith will be harder, right? Life is hard, but your faith, your decision to be a Christian, that will be harder. That faith was about sacrificing and about giving up. But then I look at people all around me who without intentionality are having to sacrifice much. They are carrying burdens that they don't want to carry and yet we've looked at them in the past and say, pick up another cross. Your burden is not heavy enough. So then I'm realizing more and more that to carry our cross, it is not to carry a bigger burden, but it is our lot in life to use it then as a place of transformation. Can you sense that? God doesn't want you to carry heavy burdens. God longs for us, though, to be transformed into who we really are. See, the cross is not the place we are called to live. It is a place that we are supposed to take up our cross, carry it for a season, and then so we can get on to more living. We're supposed to do it so it can transform us into a new and better and more full life. So when the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's as if he's saying, I have taken up this cross and I have died to my old way of living and not just a way of sin as so many of us have understood it, but I have died to the false self that I thought was my life. The Benedictine teacher Thomas Keating calls this false self the self conferred by culture the self imposed upon us by culture. He says that our identity often is wrapped up in that false self. Or as Frederick Buechner says, increasingly we live our lives from the outside in rather than from the inside out. We take our cues from the world, we take our cues from other or from culture. And it is that way of being and that kind of identity that the way of Christ calls us to transform from. Listening to Jesus means undertaking this journey, embarking on this path of carrying your cross in order to die to that false self, to that identity, to that way of being, and then to follow the analogy, to be born again into an identity centered in Christ and in God and centered in our belovedness. So it is the process then of internal redefinition of a self that a real person then, your belovedness then, can live out. So when Paul says the old Paul has died and a new Paul has been born to new life, I am now in Christ, which is one of Paul's most frequent phrases that he uses. He speaks of dying and rising with Christ. The same idea happens all throughout the Gospels. Follow Jesus to Jerusalem through the place of death and resurrection, the dying and the rising. So maybe the cross that we are called to carry is not a burden that God has intended us to bear, but rather a doorway to new life, to resurrected life, to a life of grace and of freedom. And yet we realize that it's a hard place to enter. In Matthew's telling of the scripture that we mentioned, his part of the story says that Jesus is there with his disciples and before he says to them, follow me, take up your cross, he's saying, I have to make my way to Jerusalem. I will have to go through suffering. I will die and then I will rise again. And the story goes that Peter says, no, Lord, I rebuke that. God forbid it. This must never happen to you. And we often then echo that sentiment. No, 
No, I don't want to face change. I don't want to face anything of suffering. This must not happen to us. And yet I believe that very sentiment is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. See, we all want to feel better, but we don't want to change. We all want our world to look drastically different, but we want someone else to do that work. We all want a better life, but we don't want to have to alter our already comfortable life, right? So Dietrich goes on to say, we have watered down the gospel, down to an emotional uplift, which makes no costly demands of us. So earlier when I mentioned that I am searching in my own understanding of what carrying our cross means to me, it's because I think of all the times that I in the past have picked up the wrong cross and what it has cost me because of doing that. Think about for your own life. Have you ever picked up the wrong cross? And what does it cost you? And that's a hard pill to swallow. But I can admit today that I've done it. I also think about the many, many women, the many, many people of color, especially slaves long ago, listening to their good Christian owners, poor people that have been told by well-meaning pastors to just accept their suffering as carrying their cross. I think about all the people who theologize their victimization by assuming that being beaten that being cheated or deprived of basic human needs is their cross to bear. Maybe that's been some of you. Maybe that was your thought process. The Reverend Vicki Kemper says, apply to the wrong situations. The theology of the cross is an invitation to pointless human suffering. This bad theology of the cross can turn deadly for some people, specifically for women with mixed, when mixed with a bad theology of marriage. Women living with domestic violence too often get told that the abuse is their cross to bear and that they are bad Christians if they fight back or, God forbid, want to leave their marriage. I believe Jesus would rebuke this misunderstanding of his words today. So instead, Marcus Borg offers that to take up one's cross, it is to look at the world from the view on the cross, from the compassion of Christ, but too often it's been used um, about putting up with oppression or abuse or some other burden imposed on us by someone more powerful than us and then justified with this very idea, well, that is your cross to bear. So take up your cross then. It is a way, though, instead. It is a way of awareness of self and of the world. It is a way for us to recognize as we are born again, like Saul speaks of on the road to Damascus, or slowly over time, that we can fully begin to develop an identity, again, that is centered in Christ and in our belovedness. And with that identity then, it comes an empowering self-assurance as beloved that it won't allow you to stay in those harmful situations anymore. Once you get your mind around this, let me speak to you today if you need to hear it. You have permission by the very Spirit of Christ to get out of those abusing situations. That is the call of the cross. Another call is for us with this spirit of self-assurance and recognize that we are the beloved. It also will not allow you to remain acting in ways that are below your very worth. Think about that. Pay attention to your life. Once you take this journey of the way of Jesus, it will not allow you to live below your own sense of worth. So can we say then that taking up our cross is giving us space in our life so that the real you and that others might finally live fully and wholly?
When Jesus said these words and those first disciples began to live them out, I wonder, were the disciples carrying the cross as a form then of revolt, diminishing the power of the Roman cross in the process? Think about what the cross meant for them. Were they carrying it as a form of revolt? Or was the cross for them a symbol of new life and of personal transformation that they had experienced? And I don't know that answer for them, but I know what it is for me. It is both for me. To choose to take up my cross and to follow the way of Jesus is both personal and it is political. It is railing against the powers of domination and also stressing the high cost of letting go of old ways in order for new ways to be lived. Many of us have experienced no doubt that choosing to have a primary allegiance to the way of Jesus is one that might well bring strife amongst you and your closest family or friends. And it can incur both the social and religious elite of the day speaking against you, the wrath that comes with that. The way of Jesus, it is a lifestyle of compassion and of selfishness, excuse me, selflessness. It is love and it is mercy. It is openness and togetherness. It is acceptance and it is grace. It is a path if we choose to follow. It is a path diametrically but non-violently opposed to the status quo often. It is opposed to the powers that be. It is opposed to the systemic evils of our world, evils that oppress people and mock God's desire for justice. It is a non-violent resistance to domination, to cruelty, and to coercion. This is what take up your cross then has come to mean for me. It means following the way of Jesus, a path opposed to civilization's violent and oppressive normalcy of power and greed, revenge and malice, self-interest and close-fistedness. Instead, it is a choice, an intentional choice to go down an open path of transformation. Look at this quote by Daniel Walpert in his book, Leading a Life with God. Follow me. One of the most compelling sentences in the Bible, two words when spoken by Jesus create a sense of power and mystery and awe. To follow is to enter into the unknown, to give your life over to another. We rarely want to do this yet. At the same time, it is exactly what we desire, to be led into a better place, a better world, and a better life. So how are we or should we do this thing as individuals or as a community? And I don't know that I quite have the answer yet or that I, I definitely know that I'm not supposed to have the answer for you as an individual. You have to ask yourself this very question. But as my part of the leadership here of this church, I know what it's not going to be. Our call is not about us building better buildings, right? It's not about having slick websites or attractive campaigns, but it will be about a heart that admits, God, this is at times scary. What's going on in our world, this thing scares me at times, and I readily admit that with an open heart to be able to understand that this life of beloved this way of transformation, it will push me out of my own comfort zone and into the fray sometimes of injustice. But God, I am yours and you are mine. And then to look at each other and say, I am yours and you are mine and we are in this together. And so we will say, lead us, God, in your ways. Give us grace and give us courage to follow you. And if we do this together as a community, it will require for some of us a lifestyle change and one that puts us constantly into a position of solidarity with the powerless. And that will be an intentional choice. 
I'm constantly thinking about Richard Rohr's quote, which we've talked about a lot here. We don't think ourselves into a new way of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. And I'll tell you what, I think we think well around here. I really do. I think we have great thoughts and great teaching, but I think it will be our lifestyle choices that convince people of what we say. It's not going to be our Facebook post. It will not be our words, okay? I don't know about you, but I am not aware that merely believing or talking about any doctrine or dogma has actually ever changed anybody. That should be obvious to us by now. And I'm not telling you to stop that, but listen, there are ways, this way of following Jesus, it will require us not to abandon our faith or our beliefs, but it will require us to make sure that we are living them out in flesh and in blood. Our spirituality is one not only based on creed and on thought, but more so, it will be based on compassionate practice and our experience of the very divine presence within us and with us. And so if you ask those early generation, those early followers of the way of Jesus what they believed, I think they would quickly tell you the stories of Jesus and the life that he lived and how it impacted them. And then they would tell you about how they lived that, their lives out because of that teaching. They created a community of practice. They created a culture of love, and it was not a convenient love. Their love for Jesus and for one another led them across the currents of their prevailing culture. It led them, and for some of them, it cost them their very lives. They took up their crosses, some of them literally, and they followed the path of Jesus onto a much larger life. And that's what I want. I think that's what we want as a community. What is this larger life that is waiting for all of us? So I asked, did Jesus' self-sacrifice on the cross, did it end domination and submission? No, no. I believe Jesus' crucifixion was a consequence of that domination, not the cure. An oppressive system killed him to silence him and to threaten others that might follow him. But domination still operates in our world and has left many lives lacking intimacy, lacking peace, and lacking joy. And I tell you what, if this oppression then is still at work, then these crosses then still need to be at work in our own lives. So this cross of Jesus, a cross of suffering, I don't think that is what God wants for us. Yet neither is it meaningless, hear me. Your suffering is not meaningless. Stan talked about it last week. The biblical testimony is that through Jesus' suffering on the cross, God is whispering, I am with you in this, all of this. I am with you. So Jesus did not shy away from that cross and neither should we. I think about that verse, that beautiful verse in John 15, no one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for his own friends. See, we see that in Jesus. We see it in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Think about during the civil rights struggle, Dr. King understood that peaceful demonstrators would meet with violent hostility. They have to accept it in your own body, he said, the slings and the arrows of their hostility, but do not return it. He said, there is power in undeserved suffering. Your enemy will come to see the error of his ways and will repent as a strategy to call oppressors and unjust systems to account. The practice of nonviolent resistance can be effective. Important changes have resulted in people's willingness to take risks, to confront and to transform injustice. 
But the violence endured during the civil rights movement, including the assassination of Dr. King, it is anguishing. And our theology needs to tend to the healing of those lives who are and have been fragmented by violence. The survivor of this violence need healing. So this goal is not just to change the system, but we also need to heal that person that is hurting because of the violence so that they can also be free. So Jesus' crucifixion then, it should show us that God is with us, yes, in our pain. That this is what of the theology of the crucified God says. That on the cross, God experienced the full meaning of human existence. To be human includes in this humiliation, betrayal, physical torment, abandonment, isolation, and the collapse of hope. So on the cross, God felt fully at one with humanity. We've said it over and over. Atonement, at one meant. That means that God knows the heart of human sorrow because God is in union with us even unto death. But so we counter violence then, not just with our words or our arguments, but with our very lives. That is the call of the cross. This taking up of our cross then is enacted in daily ordinary deeds of love through actions that embody that love. Daily, ordinary deeds of love through actions that should embody that very love. That this is the liberating quality of truth, that we shall know it and it shall set us free. And thank God that in the stories in scripture that God, it does not go from crucifixion to crucifixion, but it goes from crucifixion to resurrection. So we bear witnesses to this truth when we see and acknowledge, when we seek to end and redeem suffering and justice, that we cannot live out the gospel. We cannot live out the way of the cross if we allow people then to go from crucifixion to crucifixion. If we allow people to go from torture to torture, from homelessness to homelessness, from persecution to imprisonment, we must say, no, this thing needs to move from death to life, not death to more death. So we are called then to carry our cross. We are called to follow in the way of listening and paying attention to people, to entering and identifying with stories of pain and suffering of those that seek sanctuary in the walls of our very community. We need to let them tell their stories and we need to bear their pain with them. The weight of the sin of the world is exposed when our self-interest makes us wholly unaware of the needs of the other. May we be aware. May we constantly be aware of the needs of the other. So in working with those who are hurting, whether it's violence of war or of famine or of poverty or of persecution, we together then can bear the weight of sin. That is what Christ is calling us to, to struggle together for justice and seek the freedom of all. Thus we share then in God's work of grace and redemption for every human being and for this world. So when God's people say take up their cross and follow in the way of Jesus, then we then own our own experiences of suffering and of vulnerability. And we are opened up then to suffering and the vulnerability of others. We take the risk. We take the risk of letting go of what we once believed to be ours so that others can live We have taken up our cross and we have experienced then the fullness of life that is the very mark of the beloved community. So when we think about the way of the cross, we tend to consider um, those large examples like Martin Luther King, like Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was killed while seeking dignity for all the lives in El Salvador. 
We might also include people like Mother Teresa who didn't lose her life but gave her life to the way of love. But hopefully those lives are an invitation to us, just like Jesus was giving an invitation with his life to his disciples to make a choice between the power of empire with its systems of domination and inequality or the way of the cross, which leads us to transformation and to the fullness of life for all. It is a choice that can be made, but it will be hard but we must choose to make it day in and day out. It is a choice that many of us, like Peter did, want to reject as unnecessary. But I've come to believe that Jesus was executed as a result of the life that he lived. His message of inclusiveness and empowerment and justice and love was a threat to the religious and to the political powers of his day. I believe, like many others, that Jesus' crucifixion was a human-engineered travesty, not a divinely ordained sacrifice. There's a difference. Let's look at these words by Marcus Borg. In the judgment of the majority of mainline scholars, atonement theology does not go back to Jesus himself. We do not think that Jesus thought that the purpose of his life, his vocation, was his death. His purpose was what he was doing as a healer, wisdom teacher, teacher, social prophet, and movement initiator. His death was the consequence of what he was doing, but not his purpose. To use recent analogies, the deaths of Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. were the consequence of what they were doing, but not their purpose. So looking at our reading that we started with today at Mark, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus, I found online this wonderful Reverend Vicki Kemper, and she says this. She says, many interpretations of this text think that it was all about suffering and self-denial and that Jesus then calls us to live in that same way with suffering and with self-denial. She says, these interpretations, though, are mainly by white male privileged theologians. She goes on to say, and she talks about liberation theology and the idea and many other ways to view the gospel, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. She goes on to say, I believe and happen to believe with many others that God's truth will liberate us, not bear us down. It will liberate us, not oppress us. It sets us free. So when Jesus tells his followers to take up their crosses, and yet we are surrounded, oh, if we would see, we are surrounded by people who have had crosses of untold suffering thrust upon them. Think about civilians in Iraq, Syria, Turkey. Think about the many soldiers and their families. Think about African Americans. Think about single mothers. The tens of millions of persons affected with HIV or AIDS. Think about abused and neglected children, abused spouses or partners. The one in five people in our world who live on less than $1 a day. Think about the 33 million Americans who have no health insurance. Those who have lost jobs or their land to globalization. Think about those who struggle with addiction. Think about those who are oppressed because of their age, their physical or their mental health. The list of oppressed cross-bearers and unredeemed suffering goes on and on. But when we realize that there is no redemption in that cross itself, but when we realize and understand that Jesus' call to take up the cross of transformation is not one of suffering, 
but one of transformation, then we will begin to walk our way in this way of the cross, from death to a false sense of self to new life in the spirit. And our eyes and our hearts will be open to see then those many crosses in our world today. We will come to understand that for us, walking the way of the cross also means renouncing the crosses of injustice. So let us renew our commitment then to the way of the cross today. Let us renew our commitment to the way of redemption and of transformation. And then through that, we will discover our own belovedness, but it won't stop there. We will also discover the power of solidarity and the richness of community. We will discover the healing of our identities and also our relationships. We will also experience the lifting up of the poor and of the oppressed. We will also experience the justice of God's kingdom or realm, and we will have saved not only our own lives through choosing to walk this way, but we will also realize and help save the life of this world that God so loves. And if you believe that and want to do that, would you say amen this morning? Amen. I would love it if we could stand together and we could pray this prayer as we close today. Think about what it means for you to take up your cross. What kind of transformation not only needs to happen in your own life, but what kind of transformation needs to happen in the world around you, in your family, in your relationships, in your community, in the city of Nashville, in our country. Oh, transformation needs to happen in our world. And we can be a part of that, but we must make an intentional step saying, yes, I choose to do this. Let's pray this together. Divine Presence, call us from where we are to where and who we were intended to be. May we not merely be guardians of a heritage, but living signs of your beloved community. Drive us with passion for justice and peace between all people. Fill us with that faith, hope, and love which embody this good news. And through the power of your presence that is in us and in this world, lead us through transformation and continually into new life. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today. We hope you have a beautiful week. God bless you all. See you soon.